Thank you, John, and uh, good evening, everyone. It is always a privilege for me to be able to be here, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and to share with you the Word of God. This evening, my message, the title of my message is called Wiles of the Devil, subtitled Last Days, Deception in the World and in the Church. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, stated, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, it is very clear from the scriptures that we human beings are involved in a battle. It's an unseen dimension. And since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, this planet has been the battleground of the universe. As Satan and the fallen angels have interfered in the affairs of mankind and have done everything possible to deceive the world. And so Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he said, be warned. Satan has an agenda. He's a schemer. He's a planner. The wiles of the devil. You see, we have been given weapons in this battle. And the major weapon that we have is God's Word. The truth. The Word of God which has been given to us by the inspiration of God, as Paul wrote to Timothy. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Jesus proclaimed it in John chapter 17, verse 17. He said, Thy word is truth. So we have been given God's word, inspired by God, and that it helps us to understand this struggle, this battle that we are in. And the scriptures not only warn us about our opponents, but give us insight and understanding in how to fight. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, beginning in the 8th verse, Paul, writing again, states, For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. So you see, the Bible talks about two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness. That's Satan's kingdom. And then there's the kingdom of light. That's God's kingdom. And God's word, we're told, is light. The psalmist wrote, it's like a light unto our path. It will give us insight. It will give us understanding. Paul Continuing states, but all things, 
that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, as we know, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus some 2,000 years ago. But these words that were written for them are written for you, for me, living in this day as followers of Jesus Christ and His Word. These words are just as relevant for us as they were for the church at Ephesus, and perhaps even more relevant in terms of the days in which we live, according to the signs of the times that the Scriptures reveal regarding the end times, perilous times, we live in those times. And so these words, words of warning, words of instruction, to use God's Word as a light, to shed light into a dark place, that will be the goal of this presentation this evening. In 1 Peter, chapter 5, beginning the 8th verse, Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Notice this analogy that is used here. Satan is like a roaring lion. Well, here's a lion, obviously not roaring, but the potential to roar. And in fact, it was just this past January. When I was in South Africa, I took this picture. I've been traveling around various places, speaking, giving messages in different churches and denominations. And on a day off, my host took me to an animal park and we drove around. And when we got near the lions, he said, just roll down the window just a few inches. Just enough to get the lens of the camera out the window. And so I did. And then he told me that it was just a few weeks previous. Two Japanese tourists who were in the same location, enthusiastic to get a close-up stood out from the car, and one of them never returned. Roaring lion. That's what Satan is like. That's what he desires to do. Attack and destroy. But the Bible gives us insight and understanding regarding the deceiver's plan. His plan, which the Scriptures tell us, is to blind the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not understand the light of the glorious gospel. But also, Satan has an agenda, a plan, to blind the minds of those who have believed, to get them off track, so that they're no longer promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in fact may even be part of the problem. Satan's ultimate objective is to take with him hostage human beings to hell. The Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, but man who chooses to follow him rather than the plan of salvation 
that God has provided will spend eternity in hell with Him as well. Now this evening I have a very difficult challenge. In the few minutes that we have together, I want to attempt to unmask Satan's plan. The plan that he has to deceive the world. Now, obviously we're not able to cover all of Satan's plans. There are many. But I want to cover what I believe are the basic plots. The ones which I believe have impacted the world in terms of billions of people being deceived on their way to hell or in the past have already gone to hell as a result of being deceived. These three major plans that I'm going to share with you are based on my own personal experience in terms of the ministry which I've been involved for some 25 years. Understand the times. Let me share with you just a few words of testimony, my own personal journey. You see, my conversion to Christianity took place about 27 years ago. And it was a process which occurred as I was a zealous promoter of Darwinian evolution, taught biology, fully committed to the evolutionary worldview. And by God's grace, I came to the realization that what I believed and what I was teaching others wasn't true. And I came to the realization there was evidence for creation. And then I, well, I read the Bible and I became a Bible-believing creationist. And then several months later, I discovered who the Creator is. Jesus Christ. And I became a Christian. And the first phase of the ministry was primarily involved in telling people about the overwhelming evidence that supports the existence of a Creator. And that the book of Genesis is true. Well, that was in the late 70s. It was in the mid-80s that I started to see the significance of evolution, its connection with Eastern religion, and, well, what was coined the New Age. As we started to see an Eastern worldview being introduced in the West, and some of the pagan religious practices of the ancients reintroduced, claiming to be new. And how this related to Bible prophecy and the revival of ancient Babylonianism. And so for several more years, well, the ministry then expanded, pointing people to the evidence that there's a God who created, and then warning them about the consequences of rejecting the Creator and worshiping the creation. It was in 1988 that we moved from Canada to Southern California. I was on staff for three years at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And God opened doors for us to take this message internationally to many different countries around the world. And as I was traveling and speaking in many different churches and denominations, I noticed that there was another great threat to Christianity. And that was a Christianity that was not Bible-based. It was a Christianity that was based on experience, extra-biblical revelation. And so we moved on into a third phase of ministry. And based on that background, I'm going to share with you my observations of Satan's agenda to deceive the entire world so that people do not believe in the simple gospel. The wilds of the devil. Number one, there is no God. Therefore, there is no gospel. Wilds of the devil, number two, everything is God. Therefore, 
no gospel. And wiles of the devil number three. Well, there's the gospel, but there's more than what you find in the Bible. And so we'll examine these three in detail. Now, I want to make sure that every one of us is on the same page in terms of what I mean, what I believe the Bible means by the gospel. It's very important, you see, because the Bible tells us that there is another gospel. What is the biblical gospel? Well, the biblical gospel really can be summarized in one single verse. And this is the verse that's very significant to me because it's the verse that set me free. And you all know it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, it describes the relationship between God and man, past, present, and future. You see, there would be no gospel if God had not created. And the Bible says that God created. God created man, Adam, and Eve. And this man, Adam, the woman, Eve, were in a perfect relationship with their Creator. But you see, they had a free will. And they chose not to remain in the relationship with the Creator because Satan came to the garden in the embodiment of the serpent and enticed Eve to disobey. And so did Adam. They took of the forbidden tree and as a result of their disobedience, sin, it triggered the fall, the curse, and death. And the separation of man from God. And it would have been ever that way. But the Creator had a plan. And He Himself came to this earth as a man. And He lived a perfect life in our place. We couldn't do it, but He did. And His blood was shed as a sacrifice at Calvary. And He died. And then He's resurrected. And He lives. And whosoever would believe what the Creator did, and acknowledge our sin and acknowledge and ask for forgiveness. The Bible says can enter into a relationship with the Creator that will last forever, for eternity. That's the Gospel message. And Satan hates the Gospel message. He will do anything that he can to deceive people from believing. And so that's what we want to look at these three major trends. Number one, there's no God. Therefore, there's no gospel. How could Satan convince people that there is no God? You see, if there's no God, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not exist because it begins with the Creator and creation. Well, one of the major ways that Satan does this is that he convinces people that what God has said about origins isn't true. The Genesis record. It's a myth. You can't believe what the Bible says about origins. That's what Satan wants us to believe. And if creation is a myth, well, then why do we exist? Well, Satan has an alternative idea. We exist because of a natural process of chance and time. It's called evolution. You see, people believe that evolution is true because they've been taught to believe that in the beginning wasn't God. In the beginning, there was an explosion of matter. And over billions of years of time, as a result of an explosion, we have the 
cosmos and everything in the cosmos. But no one has ever observed an explosion that has produced order. But they believe it because they've been told to believe it in the name of science. They say that evolution is true because they say in the distant, unobservable past, particles came together after the explosion by gravity and they bumped into each other to form a planet like our planet Earth with all of the conditions to support life. But no one has ever observed anything like that occurring. They say that evolution is true because they say again in the distant unobservable past, non-life came together spontaneously to form life. But again, it's never been observed. All life we've ever observed comes from life which pre-exists. It's a law of biology. It's called the law of biogenesis. They say that evolution is true because they say through time there's been a progression from simple to complex. And we have the Darwinian tree of life with the various kinds of life on the tips of the branches. In an orderly sequence of evolutionary change, onward and upward, but in the fossil record we don't have any intermediates. They say that evolution is true because over billions of years... As life lived and died, it was buried in the layers of the earth that they said were laid down over hundreds of millions of years. But there's only one place you will find it, in a textbook illustration. Not in the crust of the earth. They say that evolution is true because they say our ancestors were primitive, brute, ape-like creatures. And we've evolved. And we see the murals and the drawings. But there are... No living intermediates. In fact, there are no intermediates at all in the fossil record. All of the fossils that have ever been used to propose the lineage could either be categorized as apes or humans. But they believe that evolution is true. And they believe it in the name of science. And as a result, billions of people have been indoctrinated. Evolutionism has been used as the basis of atheistic communism. I've just returned from Russia. My 37th trip to the former Soviet Union to take the message of creation to scientists and educators and students who for 70 years were forced to believe in the non-existence of God because they believed in Darwinism. But you see here in the Western world it's the same. Through the indoctrination that takes place in our education in our universities, in our colleges, in our high schools, in our public schools. They become the seminaries to propagate the view that all things exist because of a natural process. It's the basis of the religion of humanism. And as a result, billions of people do not believe in God. They believe everything exists because of evolution. Wiles of the devil... Number one. Now another plan. And it's based on the first plan. That is, if there's no God, there's no gospel. But Satan takes it one step further. Everything is God. And how does that occur? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. When man denies the God who made everything, he will eventually worship everything that God has made. 
This is what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 1. That the evidence that God has created is so obvious from the things that he has made. If we reject that evidence, we are without excuse. Our foolish hearts are darkened, professing to be wise We become fools, and rather than believe in the truth of creation, Paul says, you'll believe in a lie. What is the opposite of creation? And then Paul goes on to explain, you can expect to see man go on a downward pathway to immorality and depravity, and at the same time, on an upward pathway towards a spirituality, but it won't be worshipping the God who made everything. It will be worshipping anything and everything that God has made. And you see, evolution in our generation has played a very major part of this belief. The impact of evolutionary indoctrination has laid the foundation that through time there has been a process which has occurred and lower has become higher Simpler has become complex, that man has arisen from the slime, and he's on his way upward towards the divine. You see, the belief is that man is the top of the evolutionary pile, and that, well, in the future, we have the potential of taking another step, onward and upward. And there are various methods and techniques and therapies that we can introduce into our daily lives. We can, well, these are the ideas and practices of some of the ancients. We can introduce such things as meditation, yoga, out-of-body experiences. And as a result, well, our consciousness will be elevated and will be more creative. You see, many claim that this is something new, but as you study the history of our world, you see that in the past, well, it's been around. Well, it actually originated in the Garden of Eden, where Satan said to Eve, don't believe what God has said. There's another dimension, a higher dimension of consciousness. You can be as the gods. And so is the foundational belief of the Eastern religious view that man is onward, a pathway to higher dimensions, and that even man can become God. You see, the evolutionary idea, based on an Eastern metaphysical worldview, has duped billions of people worldwide. And as a result, billions have been deceived that everything is God and even that man can be God. Billions have been deceived that there are many ways to God. And as a result... We see Satan's plan, wiles of the devil, number two. Now his third plan to deceive the world. And in this case, we see that Satan uses the Bible, uses the scriptures, and even talks about the gospel. Now we always need to be careful when we hear someone talking about the gospel, regarding what gospel? Because Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, made it clear that Satan can deceive people into believing that they believe, but instead are deceived. Paul said, I'm concerned to the church at Corinth, lest you be deceived, as Eve was deceived by the serpent. 
and leave the simple gospel for another gospel. Because there is another spirit. There's another Christ. So the Bible makes it clear there's a gospel message that isn't the gospel message. And we need to be concerned. You see, Satan would like people to believe that they believe, but instead be deceived because they've added to or they remove from the words of inspired Scripture. And how do they do this? Well, through extra-biblical experience or revelation, which they say is the required prerequisite to know the truth. Now, in particular, the Bible warns us about this particular plan of Satan in the last days. And we've been warned in advance. Jesus was asked by his disciples if he would give them some signs, some indicators regarding the last days, the end of the age, when he would return. And Jesus responded. And many of his responses to that question dealt with deception, spiritual deception, even in his name. In Matthew 24, for example, Jesus said, many, not a few, would be deceived by many. He said there would be false teachers. He said there would be false prophets. He said there would be false appearances of Jesus associated with lying or false signs and wonders. Paul in 2 Thessalonians talked about a period of time in the last days in which people at once believed and trusted in God's Word would fall away. And then he warned, as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that the last days, these perilous times, would be a time when deception would grow worse and worse. I want to share with you just a few examples of some of the things which I mean are extra-biblical, which people claim are very foundational to the Christian faith. You see, it is important to have a faith based on what God has revealed in His Word. Well, let me give you one example. Some of the past trends where, for example, people travel to various places claiming that God is anointing them with something new. They call it a transferable spirit. They say that God is pouring out His Spirit and He's raising up a mighty army of God. And that these anointed Christians are then going out and sharing the gospel with others. And they behave in unusual ways. Shaking, twitching, even behaving like animals. They claim that this is God. Or for example, this lady here, which is as you can see, being baptized in the baptismal tank, and she also claims that she has been anointed by God's Spirit, delivered by God, but as you can see, she appears totally out of control, which she is. And yet again, people say, well, this is the new thing that God is doing. But you will not find references to such behavior in the Scriptures. Or there are those who claim that God is giving us new revelation, messages from heaven through a woman who is appearing, claiming to be the mother of Jesus, who's also called the Queen of Heaven. Well, by the way, the phrase Queen of Heaven is referenced in the Scriptures twice in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7 and 44, 
but it's reference to a demonic entity that's deceiving the children of Israel, and God calls it an abomination. Yet they say, well, this woman claiming to be the mother of Jesus is appearing, and she has messages for our generation. For example, in one place, she proclaims there will never be peace in the world until she is given a rightful title as co-redeemer. But the Bible says there is one co-redeemer, and his name is Jesus. Or it was in the year 2000 that the past Pope, Pope John Paul II, brought to Rome from Portugal the image of Our Lady of Fatima in front of 1,500 bishops and cardinals dedicated the third millennium to Mary. Then in Poland in 2003, he prayed to Mary and asked Mary to be the head of the church. The Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. And then there's the teaching that the Catholic Church believes that a priest has the power, the ability to transubstantiate. That is, to take a wafer and turn into the presence of Jesus and place Jesus in a container. It's called a monstrance. And then each Mass to be re-sacrificed, an unbloody sacrifice. And then there's the teaching promoted by Pope John Paul II that once the wafer is consecrated, it can be placed in a container like a monstrance, and then Jesus can be adored and worshipped. For example, here is a large Catholic church in the city of Cuenca in Ecuador, where I was in March. And during a time called a Eucharistic adoration, you see people there bowing down and they're kneeling and they believe that they're worshipping Jesus that you see here in this monstrance. That's called Eucharistic adoration. You will not find reference to such in the Scriptures. And then in some parts of the world, there's the claim that Jesus is appearing here and there. And, well, there you see a face. And in some places claim that, well, people are being healed by the presence of Jesus. You see, we must always check things out from the Scriptures. The Bible tells us that the deception will be great. In fact, Jesus said it himself in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then when I would profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You see, it's possible that sincere, Jesus-believing people can be deceived because they believed in another Jesus. Jesus said to them, depart from me, you who practice iniquity. I never knew you. That means they never knew him. They never understood the simple gospel. And the consequences? Eternity in hell. This all can be documented in a recently published book that has been published that we've written called Another Jesus, question mark, The Eucharistic Christ and the New Evangelization. In fact, this evening I was planning on speaking on this particular subject, but we decided to do two different presentations. Tonight, Wiles of the Devil, and then next week we will deal with another subject called The Emerging Church. Now, we've been talking about deception in the world. And as you can see, billions of people do not believe the gospel. Because, number one, they don't believe 
There's a God because they believe in evolution. There are billions of people who do not believe in the simple gospel because they believe that anything and everything is God, including themselves, because of Eastern religion and evolution. And I would suggest to you this this evening that there are billions of people who do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, although they believe in the name of Jesus. They believe in some Christian terminology. But they've not understood the simple gospel because they've added to the gospel or they've taken away from it completely. Now, the most difficult subject. Satan has a goal not only to deceive the world, but the church. Some people don't think that's possible. But it is possible, according to the scriptures. And we'll look at those scriptures. Wiles of the devil, number four, is Satan's plan to target those who have believed in Jesus. And he especially likes to do this because he wants to make Christians who have been effective ineffective. I don't believe that we can lose our salvation. I don't believe we can earn it. So how can we lose it? I believe it's by God's grace we come to the realization of who Jesus is and what He's done. But when we become followers of Jesus and come into the kingdom of God, yes, we've changed armies from Satan's domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. But that does not mean that Satan will not attempt to attack us and to destroy our witness, to make us ineffective. He has that target. He wants to destroy our witness. He wants to get us sidetracked in order to render us useless. And the Scriptures say that this agenda will intensify in the last days. Why do I say that? Well, we've already made reference to it. 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Paul said there's coming a time when there's going to be a falling away from the faith. And further down in that context, he he tells us why. Because people refuse to believe and accept the truth. And because they refuse the truth... They're given over to delusion. You see, they bring it upon themselves. God's Word is the truth. It's a light unto our path. But if you will not accept what God has revealed in His Word and get led astray, then there are consequences. In the last days, many will be deceived by many in the name of the Savior. And we are told why in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You see, there it is again, departing from the faith. And the faith, biblical faith, is based on the Word. So people believe they have faith, but it's not biblical faith, it's ass faith. And they've been duped, they've been led astray by seducing spirits 
wiles of the devil. Now, before I share with you some trends that I see or observe that are taking place, I want to preface this with a word of caution. I would rather not have to present this publicly. It's very difficult to point out the things that I'm going to be sharing that I believe have infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. But I'm compelled to do so. It's not popular. But I believe that it's important. And there's always the possibility, and it will happen everywhere that I have shared this previously, it has happened. There will be people who will be upset. But I have to say this. If there's anything that I share with you that's not biblical, then please be upset with me and tell me, and I need to correct it. But if you're upset because of things that I share with biblical insight, shedding light upon this, then I would pray that you would consider, reconsider what God has revealed in His Word. The Bible teaches that we should contend for the faith. Now, that's not popular these days. I was at a pastor's conference about a month ago, and I heard a number of the major speakers say, You know what? We're in a time where we should only be known for what we're for, not what we're against. But you see, there's things that are happening today in the world in the name of Christianity that are not Christian. And many people are being confused. And the Bible does say that we are to point people to the truth in love. That's important. And I'm constantly reminded, and let me share it again this evening, of the words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus, as recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. The church at Ephesus who were, well, they could pick out false teachers. They were zealous in defending the truth. But Jesus said to them, I hold this against you. You've lost your first love. They were so right in what they were confronting, they were wrong in the way they were doing it. You can be so right, you can be wrong. And so tonight as I share these things, my prayer is that it would come across to you with love. Contending is not being contentious. Contending is telling people the truth. In love. Now, there's an interesting portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Paul said, For a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Paul, I believe, is the greatest witness of the gospel who has ever lived. And it is true, tremendous doors of opportunity for him to proclaim the gospel, but tremendous opposition. It's interesting that over the past several years, I've discovered that when there are certain things that I present and share in various places, whether it be on radio or in in meetings, that I can expect opposition. And so, the rest of this message, I'm going to share with you the trends that I observe that are taking place in the church presently, And when I share these trends, I know for certain there's going to be people that will be upset in opposition. 
but I do so with love. Trend number one. Observation one. Pastors, churches, and denominations that once promoted the biblical God as the Creator now are willing to admit that the Bible is not reliable when it comes to the subject of origins. They now accept that the speculation of man is superior to the revelation of Scripture. They might say, what does he mean by this? Well, it's very simple. Many of the churches that I would have spoken at 20-some years ago and presented biblical creation, well, some of the pastors have told me that they couldn't have me come back today to talk about the evidence for creation because many people in their congregations would be offended because they believe in evolution. In fact, well, they believe that God used evolution to create called theistic evolution. Or they believe that, well, we believe in creation, but we need to accommodate science. And they say, well, a day in the Genesis record isn't a day. And the flood, well, it wasn't a worldwide flood. It was a local flood. And they say that preceding Adam, there were brood ape-like creatures. They find a place for man's speculation in the Scriptures. Let me give you an example. Here's an article from St. Paul's Pioneer Press, December 17, 2004. Pastors protest district policy. Letter says evolution and Bible can coexist. You see, there was a school uh, area here that was introducing two views on origins in Wisconsin. And, uh, well, 200 Wisconsin clergy were upset and they wrote a letter to the newspaper And this is what they said. We, the undersigned Christian clergy from many different traditions, believe that the timeless truths of the Bible and the discoveries of modern science may comfortably coexist. We believe the theory of evolution is a foundational scientific truth and that one stood up to rigorous scrutiny and upon which much of human knowledge and achievement rest. To reject the truth or to treat it as one theory among others is to deliberately embrace scientific ignorance and transmit such ignorance to our children. We urge school board members to preserve the integrity of the science curriculum by affirming the teaching of the theory of evolution as a core component of human knowledge. We ask that science remain science and that religion remain religion, two very different but complementary forms of the truth. But you remember Satan's goal. He doesn't want people to believe in the Genesis record. Trend number two. Pastors, churches, and denominations once opposed to the influences of the New Age are now embracing New Age and Eastern religious practices as harmless and even beneficial. Again, you may be wondering, what is this about? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. One pastor told me some years ago, not too long ago, that after I gave a message warning people about the New Age and yoga, that I couldn't return to his church because his wife was teaching Christian yoga classes. And you may say, well, what's wrong with yoga? Well, we've pointed out, yoga is the basis, it's a philosophy of the Eastern religious worldview, that God is a force or energy that can be tapped into, and there are various ways to do it. You cannot separate exercise from the spiritual foundation 
Another word for kundalini yoga is the serpent power. That should easily be understood in light of the scriptures. And then there's this incredible interest in Harry Potter. Well, this will certainly offend some people. In light of the recent release of another book, and so many say, you can't be serious. What is wrong with Harry Potter? It's just a book of fun and fantasy. But it's full of mention of witchcraft and wizards and the occult. You know, I probably would have overlooked this, except that for 25 years I've been following a pattern. And that's the rising interest in the supernatural. And how our generation is being introduced to the pagan gods of the ancients through comics and cartoons and science fiction. And the world is being seduced, it's being prepared, it's being set up for what's going to take place in the future during the tribulation as revealed in the book of Revelation. When demonic entities are going to be released upon this earth. And so I cannot keep silent. It's not innocent. It's orchestrated. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who are promoting it. Observation three. Pastors, churches, and denominations that once boldly proclaimed the gospel now feel that the gospel is too offensive to unbelievers and therefore needs to be disguised in order to make it more seeker-friendly. Now, I'm all for reaching people that are seeking the truth. But I'm very concerned when I see pastors and churches looking for ways to get people in the door without presenting the gospel or the blood of Jesus Christ. Because my Bible says that to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who believe, it's the power of God. That's what the gospel is about. How can you disguise it? You cannot. And today we're living in a period of time when human effort is being promoted to establish God's kingdom here on earth without Jesus. You see, we live in a period of time when the emphasis is on growth, church growth. And it's possible to have church growth without biblical truth. And it's possible to see small churches enlarge. But if the Word of God is not taught, and so they get a full understanding of the entire Bible from beginning to end, the church will remain shallow. And we're facing difficult times. I believe we're living in a period of time when Christianity is being dumbed down. And rather than warning people about the imminent return of Jesus, well, people have other purposes in mind. Observation four. Pastors, churches, and denominations that once exposed false teachers are now less discerning. False doctrines embraced by the Roman Catholic Church seem no longer important. Many willingly embrace ecumenism and seek unity at any cost, but not at the foot of the cross. Again, you say, what is this about? Well, for the past decade, we've seen this trend 
unity at any cost, but not at the foot of the cross. We've seen, for example, Paul Crouch go to Rome, shake hands with the Pope. Paul Crouch has said, I'm going to remove the phrase Protestant from my vocabulary. Well, it's not whether you're Protestant or whether you're Catholic that gets you to heaven. It's whether you believe what God has said in His Word. But I'm very concerned when I see, for example, on the second floor of Trinity Broadcasting Headquarters in Costa Mesa, California, the Queen of Heaven. Or when I see, for example, Nikki Gumbel, who's the head of the Alpha program from Holy Trinity Brompton in Rome, which, pardon me, in London, in Rome, shaking hands with the Pope, agreeing to evangelize together. And the Alpha program that has swept the world. And as the London Times reports, October 5th, 2002, at meetings in London where Renario Cantamalesa, who's pastor to the Pope, was present, the people were learning about the saints, the sacraments, and other Catholic beliefs. Observation 5, and we will conclude. Churches once focused on Jesus and His Word are now focusing on men and their methods and their movements. You see, the Bible tells us that true Christianity is all about keeping our eyes focused on Jesus and His Word. This is what it's about. But what happens? And people don't even realize that it's happening. In their desire to expand their boundaries, to look for a way to draw in more, they find a particular man who has a particular method of success. And there's a movement that's developed. And so now they follow after this man and his methods to be part of the movement. And without knowing it, they've got their eyes off Jesus. They didn't realize that it happened. But it has. And when that happens... Well, you know what happens. They've been deceived. And they didn't realize it. You see, that's what deception is. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. It's a clever plan. Now, how does this occur in our age? Well, trends come and go. Think of a method, think of a name. You can fill in the blanks. Positive thinking. Seeker-friendly, purpose-driven. But you see, these trends come and go. For example, Rick Warren, who's written a number of very popular books, Purpose-Driven Church, Purpose-Driven Life, wrote the foreword for Dan Kimball's book, The Emerging Church. He says the emerging church is the next trend. Next week I will talk on the emerging church. In the foreword, Rick Warren states, This book is a wonderful, detailed example of what a purpose-driven church can look like in a postmodern world. My friend Dan Kimball writes passionately with a deep desire to reach the emerging generation and culture. See, these people are sincere. They really want to reach the culture. Tell people about Jesus. But it seems that they move beyond scriptural parameters. 
And next week I will go into this in detail. The emerging church that is often called vintage Christianity or ancient future faith introduces such things as candles, incense, icons, liturgical practices, sacraments, and the saints. Vintage Christianity is sensual, it's experiential, it's extra-biblical, and it provides a bridge. Julie Sevig, writing in the Lutheran, an article called Ancient News, states, Postmoderns prefer to encounter Christ by using all their senses. That's part of the appeal of classical liturgical or contemplative worship. The incense and candles making the sign of the cross, the taste and smell of bread and wine, touching icons and being anointed with oil. This return to the traditional, the sacred, crosses denominational lines, Ward says, in fact, an interesting marriage is occurring between evangelicals and liturgy. Evangelicals are using traditions from all liturgical churches, from Orthodox to Lutheran to Catholic. What is this emerging church? It's introducing experiences, icons, candles, incense. Well, here's a prayer station in a Calvary chapel in Southern California. The emerging church is emerging. It is a fact. I will demonstrate it to you next week. People are returning to experiences from the past introduced to the present. Icons, candles, incense. And the question is what Jesus will emerge in the emerging church. Will it be the Roman Catholic Jesus? Well, time will tell. But from what I can gather based on the research, it appears to be. You see, we're headed down a road. If the next trend is the emerging church to the Roman Catholic Church. And people don't even know it. And the present Pope has called for unity within Christianity within his lifetime. And he's Eucharistic, he's Marian, he's ecumenical. Time will tell. Now let's conclude. What is the solution? Wiles of the devil. Well, we've been given God's word. It is the truth. In the book of Jude, Jude writes, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. You see, I would have rather come here this evening and talked about our common salvation. It's not easy to present these things But by God's Spirit, through His Word, I believe that it's necessary. We are to contend for the faith. We are to point people to the truth in love. Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I thank God for His Word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank You that You have given us Your Word, which is the truth. Lord, You've given us the Holy Spirit, which guides and directs us into the truth. And Lord, in Your Word, You have forewarned us. You've told us in advance what to expect in the days before You return. And as we look around in the world, we see that many are in the wide pathway headed to a lost eternity, to the kingdom of darkness. And that the narrow way, which is your way, the only way, through you, is a way in which even people who have professed the gospel, Lord, are turning aside. Because they've been caught up as part of Satan's plan in these days to deceive not only the world, but even those who have believed. So, Lord, I pray that through your word and by your spirit, that as we've looked into the world around us tonight, that you would help us to better understand the times in which we live. And, Lord, would you give each one of us a passion for the truth and a compassion for those around us, perhaps even in our families, our neighbors, or in our community, or in our state, or in our nation, or elsewhere around the world. Lord, help us to be witnesses of the true gospel of Jesus in these days. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Let's walk with close with Jesus. This song, just a closer walk. Amen. We'll stay close to the Lord and we won't be deceived. Amen. Amen. Amen.